welcome to our executive order. Um, this is Natalie. I use she, her pronouns. And today I'm joined with Michaela um, and Anna Corinne, and we're going to be talking about um, houselessness in Bellingham. One fun fact, Michaela is actually a sibling of one of our coworkers in the office, and we're really glad to have you here. So I'll pass it over to you to introduce yourself and kind of what you'll be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm like contemplating whether I should reveal who my uh, my sibling is or not, but maybe I'll let him um, remain uh, anonymous. Um, but uh, my name is Michaela Alam. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Yeah, I'm here to talk about um, homelessness and uh, housing insecurity. A little bit about me in case it's interesting. Uh, like I was born and raised in Bellingham. Um, I actually graduated from uh, Western in 2015 from Fairhaven College, and I did the whole build your own adventure thing, by which I mean I have an interdisciplinary degree, uh, <laughs> and uh, I took classes from the Law, Diversity, and Justice program, uh, Human Services program, and Ethnic Studies classes as well. Uh, before that, I went to the community college uh, the Whatcom Community College. Let's see, I have some professional experience in providing housing services to people who are experiencing homelessness, but I think that it's kind of important just to say off the top that I think that we all have a place and responsibility in this conversation about homelessness and solutions, um, not just so-called professionals. So I'm here to share my perspective um, as someone with experience, but also definitely as a learner, for sure. Fabulous. I didn't realize that you went to Western and I really like how Fair Fairhaven, you can choose your own adventure. I've been pretty yeah. confined with what classes I can take. I know you touched on it a bit, but what is your involvement in Wacom and Bellingham in terms of working with unhoused folks and those experiencing housing insecurity? So after I graduated from Western, I tried to work at a law office for a little while and then I was like, I don't really want to be doing this. I am going to apply for a ton of different jobs. And, you know, I really had a passion for social justice, but I didn't have any experience in the social services realm. And I was like also pretty critical of it um, as well, just from like that social justice lens, but I was very desperate for a job. And um actually started working at Catholic Housing Services and I ended up staying there for three years. Uh, and it really taught me a lot <laughs> uh, about houselessness and housing insecurity and affordable housing. Uh, specifically, what I was doing at Catholic Housing was uh, working in a low-income housing tax credit program, um, which is just one of the many different types of affordable housing. And specifically though, that um, tax credit program, it involves uh, like the federal government giving um, incentives uh, through like a tax credit, tax bonus um, to the private sector for them to invest in uh, low-income housing. And then they partner with a nonprofit agency who then provides the services side like from their expertise. So in this example, that uh, nonprofit was Catholic Housing. Uh, so after I worked there, um, I worked at Opportunity Council for nearly two years, I think, in permanent supportive housing. It was a program that uh, was specifically for people who uh, are exiting chronic homelessness and entering housing. And then uh, currently I'm a volunteer district lead for the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance, which is like a statewide coalition. 
And they do a ton of work, um, but one of the things that they do is work around educating and advocating for like important issues related to providing affordable housing and ending homelessness. So for example, in February, I worked with a group of other folks from the 40th district uh, just to meet with our elected officials and advocate for important legislation that's related to, you know, promoting housing as a basic human right. So that's that's a little bit about mine. Yeah, this is not a question that we had planned for, but on the legislative side of things, um, this session, what were some wins um, for affordable housing in Washington? Yeah, there are a lot of great ones, and I um, probably am not as studied on all of them as I should be, but I can talk about a couple of them. So, um, for example, there was uh, House Bill 1236, which mandates that landlords must uh, prove just cause to evict which is different than we currently have it in Washington um, and even a little different than how we have it in Bellingham. But basically um, it depends on where you go, but in Bellingham uh, landlords can issue like a 60 day notice to vacate and they don't need to give a, uh, a reason. It's just like, I don't want to rent to you anymore. And so this really changes things and says like, you can only end someone's housing for a legitimate business reason or, you know, someone violating their lease or, um, being unsafe or something like that. So that's a really big change and a big win. Housing Bill uh, 1277, I believe, um, creates a statewide permanent fund for eviction prevention and rental assistance. So that's huge. Um, and then Senate Bill 5160 provides uh, legal representation for tenants who are facing eviction and uh, requires that landlords accept like a repayment agreement for unpaid rent uh, during the pandemic. So all of these are super important anytime, but especially following the pandemic when we really need to have a plan in place for when the moratorium lifts. So those are some, some big wins. Yeah, that's great to hear so many things that went through this session. I'm glad to hear that. Um, what are some issues that are still a big problem in Whatcom and in Bellingham for low-income families and individuals? Yeah, well, piggybacking off the last question a little bit, um, COVID obviously has had such a devastating impact on the community and especially for low-income individuals and families because people have been out of work and they're behind on rent and the eviction moratorium uh, has kept a lot of people in their homes, but it doesn't cancel rent or help people get caught up on rent. I think unless you're a renter, that's a misconception that a lot of people have. So that's uh, a really big issue that our community is facing. Uh, in general, there are so many issues, it's hard to pick, um, and it really just depends on how you look at it, because housing is just such an intimate thing, and it intersects with nearly every other aspect of our lives, really. But there is some trends around just like a lack of housing and lack of affordable housing, which I'm sure a lot of students are familiar with as, you know, summertime comes in your lease ends, and you're like, I got to find a place. And it's, at least when I was a student, it was very difficult and very stressful. But uh, I think currently we have a vacancy rate around um, 3% for rentals, I believe. And from what I've read, a healthy vacancy rate is closer to like 5 to 7% for rentals. So that's a pretty big gap um, that we have. And that's a significant gap. It's not easy to fix where we're just like, we don't have enough houses. <laughs> um, and then also uh, just a lack of affordable housing specifically. So 
I think I read something off the city of Bellingham's website recently that said that 33% of the housing stock in Whatcom County is considered affordable to like a household earning a median income and uh, like a, a goal that we should have or more what would be considered a balanced proportion is 50% being affordable to households who earn a median income. So we also just see that disparity there. So we need more housing and we need more affordable housing for sure. Thank you. I didn't realize the, I didn't know about the vacancy rate in Whatcom County. I knew that, you know, population was growing and there isn't enough, but I didn't know what those numbers looked like. So kind of similar to the last question, what groups are disproportionately impacted by the issues in Whatcom County? Kind of in terms of uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, disabled folks, um, LGBTQ individuals, like what does that look like in our area? Yeah, so uh, people with disabilities are disproportionately likely to experience homelessness. So I've seen data like nationally that suggests like one fourth of people um, who are experiencing homelessness have a disability, be it like a physical, intellectual, developmental um, disability, mental health related or a substance use disorder. So because of the the I don't know, I think because of like the stigma and probably the lack of access to healthcare for diagnosis that these numbers are probably underreported. Like from my experience, I, I can definitely see the, the one fourth number being underreported. Uh, so it just means that we have so many vulnerable people, really, really vulnerable people who are needing care um, for sure. And then um, you mentioned BIPOC folks. So I think most racial and ethnic minorities are disproportionately impacted by homelessness. And of course you can point to like historical and ongoing systemic racism for that, like inequities in healthcare and incarceration and the workforce, a history of segregation and redlining, rental housing discrimination, and much more. They just kind of coalesce into this complex systemic force that results in higher rates of housing insecurity for BIPOC. Locally, um, I saw a figure that although Native Americans represent slightly less than 3% of the total population of Whatcom County, I think it's like 2.7%, um, they compromise 8% of the people experiencing homelessness. So that's a significant disparity um, there. And just national data also shows that these trends that BIPOC experience higher levels of housing inequity overall. So not just homelessness, but um, uh, for example, like in rates of evictions. And recently I was looking at a website called Eviction Lab and they have a ton of research that they've done all across um, the nation that just really shows these stark racial disparities um, in evictions and other aspects of housing insecurity. So yeah, that's that's definitely uh, something to like, keep an eye on for sure. I believe you also mentioned LGBTQ plus folks as well. So uh, one of the one of the areas of concern there is uh, queer homeless youth um, make up a disproportionate number of overall home homeless youth um, in general. So the in the U.S., um, an estimated like three to five percent of youth identify as LGBTQ, but data suggests that anywhere between twenty and forty percent of all homeless youth identifies LGBTQ. So that's like I mean we've already talked about some like huge disparities. That one is gigantic. Um, and our local data on all aspects of this, um, you know, based on um, race and uh, gender and sexuality and disability status, all of our local data, it's consistent with these national trends that I've shared. And 
if, um, if anybody wants to take a look at our local data, the Opportunity Council publishes this information. And I think you can go to the website and look under publications. And there's various different reports there. But one of those reports is called the PIT count, P-I-T, and it's uh, PIT stands for point in time count. And it's just like an annual count that's done uh, in Whatcom County and actually counties across the country to get data on how many people are houseless at any given point in time. So how it works is basically there's one day and volunteers go out everywhere in the community and they interview folks and we get a count and we get all this data from that. It's a really great resource for anyone who wants to see what's going on locally. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, we have the option of linking things like in the description of the podcast. So we will be, oh, we'll be sure to link that. I'll look at it and folks can check it out. Next question is, what are some misconceptions about homelessness? You know, I've heard a lot of people say that if we provide resources to people, like homeless people will just come to Bellingham and seek without resources. And I know that the statistics show otherwise, but I was wondering um, what your take on that is and some other misconceptions. Yeah, that is that is a big one. Um, and that is like, I'm really glad you mentioned it because that's definitely one of my pet peeves um, is uh, that, that mis- misconception um, that if we provide more resources. And by more resources, I mean, if we supply the appropriate resources that we definitely need, that that somehow makes the issue worse. That's that's a frustrating sentiment. And it's frustrating for a couple of reasons. So from like the ethical standpoint, like, should it matter? Like, <laughs> you know, people need support and um, people need care. And, um, you know, if somebody is sleeping under a bridge in Bellingham, does it matter where they lived six months ago? Ethically? No, I don't think it does. And, you know, they live here now and they're our neighbor. That's that. <laughs> um, but aside from that, um, experts indicate that to end homelessness, you can't just do it for your community. It has to happen in every community. So it's just a really short-sighted response. It's a short-sighted mis- um, misconception. And like you mentioned, it's just, it's not supported by data either. So in the 2020 pick count, which I mentioned the point in time count, in Whatcom County, two-thirds of all households experiencing homelessness um, had their last stable housing in Whatcom County. So it's a total misconception that like people were going to come here and like utilize the resource or whatever the whatever the fear is. It's just it's not proven by data. So another misconception is uh, that people are homeless because they're lazy. And like that one's just like, it's a, it's an old misconception, but it's still very prevalent. And in a lot of ways, people are becoming more aware and are becoming more compassionate. Um, But this uh, misconception still remains. Um, I think recently I made the mistake of reading comments, um, the comment section on something, and it was just like horrifying. But yeah, this misconception that um, people were lazy and don't want to work, and that's why they're homeless. And this is just so inconsistent with my professional and personal experience of all the awesome people I've had the chance and honor to work with. You know, a lot of the folks that I've worked with are like, they deeply want to work and they deeply want to feel independent and contribute to the community. Um, But many work environments uh, are just not accessible for um, people experiencing homelessness or even um, once somebody maybe has achieved housing, like just in general, Many work environments are not accommodating to the needs of people with disabilities or for the needs of people who have experienced chronic homelessness. Um, So it's just not a 
realistic, it may not be a realistic expectation um, to, to have, and it's just not helpful either. Um, there's also like a pretty significant financial trap that people find themselves in where, you know, there are income restrictions based on affordable housing programs or other social benefits like food stamps or TANF or social security benefits. You know, if you receive social security benefits based on your age or uh, your disability, um, you know, there are uh, income restrictions. So you're kind of in this trap where, you know, if you were to get a job and make more money, you could lose your safety net and very thing that you need. So for that reason, I think it's just this misconception needs to go and it's not helpful. And again, it's not supported by data. Thank you for sharing those misconceptions and just kind of like the reasoning behind why why they have to go. Like it's it's frustrating and I agree with you. I don't want to read the comment sections of a lot of things. It's just angering. Uh, moving on, could you talk about what our community could do in general just to help with housing insecurity and homelessness? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, a lot of great resources. Like we have great opportunities and resources and programs that are provided by various organizations like Opportunity Council, Catholic Community Services, Northwest Youth Services. Um, and recently, you know, we've seen this awesome influx of just this great community action, um, like through mutual aid efforts and um, uh, like Bellingham Occupied protests, like all of this is super helpful. You know, the community support, you know, all these different programs and organizations, but we just, we really just don't have enough. Like, I, I think that's one thing that sometimes people don't understand is that this, the need is so big. It, it really is. And so in addition to just needing more, um, like more housing, more affordable housing, more resources, we need variety. So we need variety of housing types and housing supports to just fit the the varying need, just because like housing and where someone lives is such a intimate and unique aspect of somebody's identity. And so of course, we're just going to need like a diversity of solutions, but I can talk about just like a couple, um, a couple things that I've seen useful in my experience. And um, I think that we need more of um, specifically. So one of them is um, permanent supportive housing. Um, so in Bellingham, we actually have several permanent supportive housing programs. So PSH or permanent supportive housing um, is a model which provides permanent subsidized housing with supportive services. And um, those services are focused on um, like a trauma-informed approach and um, applying harm reduction principles. Uh, sobriety or working toward financial independence is not a requirement at all. Um, and these programs are just centered on meeting people where they're at and supporting them in whatever their self-identified goals are. So this can be like especially great uh, model for folks who uh, have experienced chronic homelessness, um, live with like mental health challenges or substance use disorders or other disabilities. Because it's really just focused on like this housing first lens, which says like, let's get people into housing first and um, any other goals um, that they might have as an individual, we'll figure out after. Um, so it just is like such a great approach to homelessness because you're just providing people homes. Like that's the, that's the answer. <laughs> and then uh, additionally, I think we talked a little, about it a little bit when we talked about housing bill 
1277, but we definitely need more eviction prevention funds that can be um, implemented. Like, you know, definitely because of the pandemic, but regardless of the pandemic, many of us are one financial emergency away from homelessness, you know, getting really sick or crashing your car or missing work or what have you, like many of us just can't come back from that. And um, so one of the best ways to, I think, to approach housing insecurity and, and ending homelessness is trying to get ahead of it and providing people the financial assistance to come out of those um, you know, financial emergencies still being housed. So uh, it just really provides the safety net that we need to prevent homelessness in the first place. Are there other places where permanent subsidized housing is in place now or like a success story? Yeah. So we actually have several permanent supportive housing programs in Bellingham, like, like sites, you know, like an apartment complex. And some of them are more like throughout the community um, through like a scattered site program. Like you may have a neighbor, you probably do, <laughs> you know, have a neighbor who's receiving um some sort of assistance for the housing, and it may be a permanent supportive housing model. And there's a lot in Seattle. Some of it is organized through Catholic Housing Services or Catholic Community Services, but um, there are other organizations as well. We're able to um, house people who have a lot of um, significant challenges and keep people um, keep people in housing. And for some folks, this is like their second, third, fourth chance, and it's working. Yeah, that sounds like a great solution. And yeah, the housing first model, I think, is just really important to think about in general um, and something that should be talked about more. So that's a great point that you bring up. Are there ways for people to get involved in things like that? Or are there action items and ways for people to make a difference in Bellingham and outside of Bellingham? Yeah, definitely. Let's see. So I, I think in general, you know, I encourage people to look for your lane, like look for where your time and skills and unique position can be useful to promoting affordable housing and ending homelessness and housing as a basic human right, for, for sure. So look, look for your lane, um, look for where you can flex your position, your privilege, whatever you want to call it. I would definitely suggest that people uh, start joining mailing lists, like specifically maybe the, the one for Washington Low Income Housing Alliance. Um, just because you can follow important legislature um, that can positively or negatively impact our housing goals. Um, and you can put pressure on your representatives to make the right decisions. And um, if you can vote, definitely vote in a way that aligns with the idea of housing being a basic human right. Secondly, you know, find opportunities to provide care to your house's neighbors uh, without judgment or expectation, for sure. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that um, Bellingham Occupied Protest is still providing, uh, like distributing hot meals to people um, who are houseless. So, you know, look for the opportunities to support them or to support other mutual aid efforts. Definitely. Let's see. I, I think lastly, uh, just talk about affordable housing and homelessness to the people in your circle, like your friends, your family, um, and definitely your neighbors, because that's what will fight against um, nimbyism, which is the like, not in my backyard um, sentiment. You know, if you are being an advocate and you're saying yes in my backyard, like, yes, I want affordable housing um, in my neighborhood. And that really makes a difference because I think we need to change the culture to create the political and social will uh, to end homelessness. So um, definitely like, don't shut up about it. Like, 
be almost annoying probably and you'll be you know doing the right thing I think yeah thank you for sharing those action items they're all like we can you know the mutual aid efforts with the Bellingham occupied protests are great but for students sometimes it's hard to to spare some extra dollars but those are great ways to reach out and encourage legislators and representatives and the as you mentioned the not in my backyard I had never heard it referred to as nimbyism before but yeah we can all work to kind of change that culture yeah definitely I, I totally get that um, that those mutual aid efforts it might not be accessible for students and you know maybe something that would be accessible or you know can be a part of your studies is just to reflect on like I said before, like how your unique position, like your area of study and professional career and like where that's going to take you, how you can influence your industry in contributing to our housing goals. So you might be studying something where you don't think it, you're like, oh, it doesn't really touch the issue of homelessness, but um, it probably does in some way, or maybe uh, the place that you work now does in some way. So I mean, just, just reflect on that and Maybe it's not in your power to do something now, but um, if you're working at educating yourself, hopefully in the future, you'll be in a position where you can influence something. And that's super meaningful. Yeah, I think that's a great point about no matter what you study, there's it's impacted somehow. Um, I'm an environmental science major. Um, so a lot of times I think we as environmental science majors think that social issues are beyond us. But um, recently in a lot of my classes, we've been talking about how um, like environmental health is a real thing and like um, houselessness as an environmental health and health and environmental justice issue. Um, so yeah, there's always those connections there. So I think that's a great point for people to sort of dig into a, a little bit and see where the ties are because I'm sure they're there no matter mm -hmm. your field. So we're about to wrap up the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Thanks for having me and more so thanks for focusing on this topic. I can tell that you folks and your team obviously care about it and it's something that I care about. So I just feel very appreciative that you would focus on it. Thank you. Yeah, we greatly appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, I know at the beginning you said you weren't an expert, but you have a, had a lot of background and statistics that we couldn't have come up with on our own. So thank you for sharing that. Um, your insights yeah. are helpful. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Our Executive Order. And thanks so much for Michaela for sitting down to talk with us. Um, this is Natalie. This is Michaela. And this is Anna Corinne. And stay tuned every Monday for new episodes.